So we've been saying all December that it feels weird to be trying to celebrate Christmas in the midst of such a dark year. I mean, we called the series A Weary World Rejoices because it really feels like we're in a weary world this year. And one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that because it's a true book, it's filled with characters and stories that really bear witness to the difficulty and pain and struggle that life can bring. So we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at characters who are in the midst of absolute brutal darkness and pain and misery who encounter Jesus, the light of the world, and have the path of their life changed forever. And we've been drawing hope and comfort from those stories. Now, The first two characters we talked about share something really important in common. They're both ceremonially, ritually unclean. And it's really important for us to kind of get a a refresher on what that means, because as modern people, we have a hard time understanding it. Now, uncleanness has to do with holiness and commonness. And there are sections in the Levitical law that really go into great detail explaining how that all works. But one of the easiest summaries of it actually comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 5. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Now, there are a few things in that passage that are really helpful and really important. The first is you notice this emphasis on unclean people and things being put outside of the camp. This passage is in the book of Numbers, and during this time, Israel is nomadic. They're traveling through the wilderness, so they don't have a city or a land yet, but a camp that's moving. And the reason it's so crucial that unclean things be put out of the camp is because, as the passage says, the center of the camp, the tabernacle, is where the presence of God dwells. You notice in in four verses, this really short passage, four verses, five times it says unclean things have to be outside of the camp. That's because the holy presence of God, that consuming fire we talked about in the first week of the series, is, is there. And unclean things and people cannot safely be brought near. It's important to remember, uncleanness isn't the same as sin or evil. It's not morally bad. It just cannot occupy the same space as the holy presence of God. So you also notice there's actually three kind of broad categories that Moses groups in the causes of uncleanness. The first one is leprous skin conditions. The second one is bodily discharges, both male or female. And the third one is coming in contact with a dead body. Now, that third one is the one that kind of really gets down to the point. And without spending the time to get into the nitty-gritty theological details, suffice just to say that all of those relate to death in some way. Uncleanness has to do with death. And God, as the ultimate source and bringer of life, cannot and must not occupy that same space. Now, if you're paying really close attention, you'll also notice that the two stories we've told so far in this series involve Jesus directly confronting the first two of those sources of uncleanness. First, he healed a man with leprosy, this person who would have spent his entire life cut off from the social and religious life of his people, who walked around intentionally disfigured, yelling out that he's unclean to anyone who would come near, someone who had been the recipient of thrown stones if he dared to accidentally draw too near to a group of clean people, someone who'd gone untouched for who knows how long. And he came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response showed that not only was he able 
to heal that man, but he was willing. And he actually reached out and touched the leper and made him clean. The second story we looked at involved a woman with a discharge of blood, the kind of second category or grouping of sources of uncleanness in that passage from Numbers. And she brought herself to uh, Jesus amidst a crowd, something that she wasn't used to being a part of. This is a woman who, through her ceremonial uncleanness, would not have felt any sense of belonging among the people of Israel for years. All the things that would have made life worth living were cut off from her. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't participate in social functions. And so she gathers up the courage after failed attempt after failed attempt to be healed by doctors and touches Jesus. And just in the very touching of his garment receives healing. Now, even though she tried to stay anonymous, Jesus wouldn't let her. He identifies her in the crowd, calls her daughter, and welcomes her back into fellowship. So Jesus has already in these two stories confronted leprosy, he's confronted the bodily discharges, and in today's story, he's going to confront the third and final and most significant source of uncleanness, death itself. Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So a man named Jairus comes to Jesus, and he's described as a ruler of the synagogue. This is somebody who would have commanded some respect in the area. He was an authority in the local synagogue. He was responsible for things like planning synagogue services and teaching and, and other responsibilities like that. And so for a man like this, with some kind of respect in that area, to come to Jesus and fall on his knees and earnestly beg him for something shows the level of desperation and sincerity that Jairus is experiencing. And I mean, who wouldn't be? When he says what he needs, your heart just immediately goes out to this man. He says, my daughter is at the point of death. My little daughter is at the point of death. And so Jesus agrees to go with him. And it's when they're walking on the way to Jairus's house to heal his daughter who's at the point of death, that's the moment when the bleeding woman comes up and touches Jesus's garment. And so she's healed, and it's this beautiful and amazing story in its own right, but you have to imagine what Jairus is experiencing while this is going on. I mean, his daughter's at the point of death, he finally got Jesus, the healer, to come to his house and help, and on the way, Jesus gets sidetracked. And so, yeah, beautiful story. Jesus calls the woman daughter, says, go in peace and be healed of your disease, but Jairus the whole time is probably standing there stomping his feet, going like, we have to get to my house. My daughter's dying. My daughter is dying. And it's at that moment when Jesus is in the act of pronouncing healing over the bleeding woman, that Jairus receives the worst news a parent could ever hear. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? While Jesus is calling this other woman daughter, Jairus receives the news that his little daughter has died. Now try to imagine what Jairus is experiencing at this moment. Many of you are parents, and even those of you who aren't have children in your life that you know and love. It's the loss of a child, a precious baby, in this moment is unimaginable. Jairus has gone through this incredible up and down already of, of finally getting to Jesus, 
getting him to come with him and they're on their way to be healed. And then while they're sidetracked, while they're waiting, when they could have been at his house, he finds out that his daughter has died. And even the people who bring in the news tell him, you know, why, why keep bothering the teacher? Your daughter's dead anyway. But verse 36 says that Jesus, overhearing this, says to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And this is an incredible moment. When he says believe, it's a powerful Greek word, pistuo. And pistuo means believe. It can also mean have faith. In fact, it's often translated faith. In fact, specifically in the story of the bleeding woman that just happened when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, this is the same word as what he tells Jairus to do now. Now, on top of that, the way that it's um, set up in Greek is an ongoing continuous verb. So he tells him, don't fear, but keep on believing, keep on having faith. Imagine being told that when your daughter has passed away. We don't know exactly how Jairus responds or what he's thinking, but for some reason they continue on to his house even though he's found out that his daughter has died. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So Jesus brings in just his inner circle, just Peter, James, and John, and Jairus and his wife, the parents of the little girl, and goes past all of the mourners, sending them out of the house, ignoring their laughter, and he goes into the room where the dead girl lies. Now remember, to touch a dead body would render someone unclean. But watch what Jesus does next. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus takes the dead girl by the hand, and just like the leper, just like the bleeding woman, Jesus's Holy cleanness transfers to her and she is brought back to life. It's an unbelievable moment. But I want to focus for a second on what he says to her. He says, Talitha kumai. And Mark goes out of his way to translate what that means. And the reason Mark has to translate it is because Talitha kumai is a Greek spelling of an Aramaic word. Aramaic was the language that Jesus and his Jewish contemporaries would have spoken primarily. And so Mark is translating it for anyone who's reading the story later and doesn't know Aramaic. And what it means, as Mark says, is little girl arise. But that doesn't quite capture the emotion of what he's saying. Talitha literally means little lamb, but it was a term of endearment at this point in history. It was like calling a little girl in English, sweetie or honey or sugar or something like that. So he's saying in the kind of idiomatic expression of the day, something that you would say if you were waking a child up from a nap. Now I have two daughters. I've woken them up from naps before. You go in and they're asleep and they look so precious and you don't even want to wake them up, but you say, you know, you put your hand on them and you say, wake up, sweetie, wake up. Jesus, when it's time to banish death from the room, does not shout does not raise his arms, doesn't recite spells or incantations. He takes this little girl by the hand and says, 
Get up, little lamb. Jesus overcomes death, and it sounds like waking up a child from a nap. It was one thing to heal a leper, and it was even more incredible for the bleeding woman to be healed just by touching Jesus. But now Jesus has overcome death itself. But here's the thing. To overcome death one person at a time, you know, just by touching them, going around, that that would never work. And so what we're seeing here is actually just a preview. Jesus is going to have to confront death in a much more dramatic, much more extreme way. Jesus is going to have to enter into death and uncleanness directly, personally. When Jesus goes to fulfill his ultimate purpose, to die and be resurrected for the sins of humanity, he does it by going outside of the camp, outside of the city, to die the cursed death hanging on a tree. The gospel authors go out of their way to show you that Jesus is going into the very depths of uncleanness, that his contagious cleanness might heal it in order that death itself might lose its sting, that death might be dethroned and disarmed forever, that death might no more hold its sway over humanity. And this is the shock of Christmas. Christmas is the dawning of a world without death. It's the birth of death's defeater. And so we sing all of these Christmas songs, and there are lines in them that show us this very clearly. Now, many of the Christmas hymns, like other hymns that we sing, have stanzas that we're not used to hearing. There's a stanza at the end of Hark the Herald Angel Sing that you won't usually hear in the versions that go on the radio. And it goes like this. It says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. And what that hymn is referencing is a prophecy from the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And in the last chapter of that last book, Malachi says, The Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And so Jesus, as the song says, was born that man by trusting in him no more may die. See, the beautiful thrill of hope that Christmas brings is the truth that if you trust in Jesus, you will overcome death just as he did. That death will no longer have a hold on you. And the beautiful truth of the gospel is that the son of righteousness that rose with healing in its wings was the son of God born on earth. And so I say to you today the same thing that Jesus said to Jairus, do not fear, only keep believing. And these are not empty words of weak encouragement. Remember that when Jesus spoke them, he spoke them to a man who had just learned of his daughter's death. So whatever you're facing this December, whatever difficulties and pains and struggles 2020 has brought to you, I say to you, do not fear, only believe. Remember, the Son of God was born to overcome death on your behalf. Do not fear, keep believing.